0: Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Victorious Living Over Inglorious Circumstances. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Well, as we got out to head to the church building today, we saw a number of people on their bicycles and a number of people jogging, and I'm assuming it was to burn off some Christmas calories. I think probably all of us can identify, at least with that need, whether we're going to do anything with it or not. We recognize that need right after Christmas. I hope your Christmas was wonderful. Uh, The reason that I uh, had in mind this thought of people jogging or cycling was uh, because of uh, marathons. Now, some of the people, most of the people that I saw jogging were clearly not preparing for a marathon, but you know where the word marathon comes from, right? It it is a foot race of a very unique distance, 26 miles and 385 yards. Now, that is the distance from marathon to Athens, and the marathon foot race Uh, celebrates the life and death of a young man named Pheidippides who in 490 BC ran from Marathon to Athens, 26 miles 385 yards. And he's noted in history as the newsboy who uh, went to Athens, ran to Athens to deliver the good news of the Grecian victory over the Persians. And he got that entire distance to Athens only to gasp out, Nike, we win, and then he died at the gates of Athens. In the Acts of the Apostles, there's one character who closely parallels the life of Pheidippides, and that, that person is Stephen, and I want us to look at his story today. He appears briefly in the New Testament, one of the earliest deacons of the church, and he portrayed a life of victory, and then he died a martyr's death. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but as they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth We'll destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like that, like the face of an angel. Now, chapter 7 goes on to record this long speech that Stephen gave. It runs to over 50 verses in our copy of God's Word. And it's it's basically a, a tight summary of the entirety of the Old Testament and how the Old Testament points toward The person and the work of Jesus Christ. For the sake of time, we won't read uh, those 50 or so verses, but I do want us to pick up again, starting in verse 54. So chapter 7, verse 54 and following. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, that is all the things that Stephen had said about the Old Testament pointing toward Jesus, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged uh, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The life and the death of Stephen informs us how to have victorious living in the midst of inglorious circumstances. Now, the name Stephen comes from the Greek word Stephanos, and the word Stephanos means crown. Usually, though, when we think of a crown, we think of a crown of authority that a king wears. There's actually another Greek word for that. But the Stephanos was the crown of victory that an athlete would wear. And these days, especially at the Olympic Games, we give medals to winners, gold and silver and bronze. But in ancient Greece, they gave a crown of woven laurel leaves to the victor of an athletic competition. That was called the Stephanos. Now, uh, in the Bible, a person's name often held some significance to that person's character or to what that person was going to become. And so, for example, uh, Jacob's name in the Old Testament was changed to Israel. And Israel, loosely translated from the Hebrew, means one who prevails with God. In the New Testament, Simon's name was changed to Peter. Peter means rock-like. And Jesus said upon changing his name that it would be upon his rock-like faith that he would build his church. And so many times in the Bible, a person's name signified what they were or what they were destined to become. Now, is that true with Stephen's name? At first, we would want to say no, because his name means crown of victory, somebody who is a champion in an athletic competition. But, but everything about his life was one of defeats. Uh, as soon as Stephen is introduced to us in the Bible, immediately we find opposition against him and his message. His own countrymen rise up and they bitterly argue with Stephen. People were given bribes to make up lies about him. The whole community where he lived was agitated toward him. They dragged him before the religious council. They presented these lies as testimony. And so they condemned him to death and brought him to the outside of the city. And there they pelted him with rocks and stones until he was bludgeoned to death. Now, at first glance, it seems impossible to say that Stephen lived up to his name because this wasn't a life of victory. It doesn't look like anyway. And yet I'm convinced that his his name really was a perfect picture of the life he lived because he was somebody who was living in victory despite the inglorious circumstances that he was dealing with. Now, as I read these verses, I... I find four ways that you and I can live in victory, even in the midst of inglorious circumstances as well. And so at home or here in the building, if on your mobile device, you can find our sermon notes. Uh, you'll find them at uh, our online bulletin, hillcrest.church bulletin. And, and you can fill in the blanks as we come to them. First of all, here's one thing that you, you, you need to do. You need to be filled with the right things. You need to be filled with the right things if you're going to be a person of victory. Look at the things that Stephen was filled with, according to the Bible. In chapter 6, verse 5, we read that he was full of faith. In other words, as far as Stephen was concerned, what God said was so. What God promised to do would be done. No matter what, uh, whether Stephen saw the tangible results of the things he claimed or the things he believed, he still believed them, even as difficult circumstances came his way. You know, in the 1700s, Ohio frontiersmen told their campfire tales about a man they called Johnny Appleseed. Johnny Appleseed was an actual character. He was John Chapman. He was born in 1774 in Massachusetts. He spent his life as a minor military hero in the War of 1812. He was a religious enthusiast, much like a frontiers, uh, frontier version of John the Baptist. He was an herb doctor and uh, he got his name Johnny Appleseed because of his prolific practice of going around planting apple seeds and apple saplings wherever he went in Ohio and Indiana. Now imagine that. He spent an entire life devoted to planting seeds for trees that he would never see and fruit that he would never eat. In a lot of ways, Stephen in our New Testament pages is very much like Johnny Appleseed. He was sowing seed, wasn't he? By communicating the gospel, by declaring who Jesus was to people who were bitterly opposed to him, he was sowing seed, the fruit of which he would never see. But we see some hint already in this passage of fruit that would be born of this gospel seed that he was planting. Among all those men who were standing there in opposition to him, among all those men who had stones and rocks in their hands to bludgeon him to death, there was one named Saul. And Saul was, uh, I guess, the coat check boy at that time. He took care of their cloaks and their tunics that they took off so they would be freer to uh, perform this execution. And they laid them at Saul's feet. He watched the coats while these people were doing this work. And the Bible tells us that he was approving of this work. Saul was uh, fervent uh, uh, a believer in, in the Old Testament law. He believed very firmly that anybody who was communicating uh, that Jesus was Savior and Lord was going against God, and so he believed he was doing God a favor by persecuting Christians and seeing that they got put to death. But all of us know that Saul was converted, and he became Paul. And we know him as the Apostle Paul who wrote 13 of our 27 New Testament books. And it all began, don't you know, when he first heard the gospel proclaimed by this one who was living victoriously even in the midst of his inglorious circumstances. The seeds that this Johnny Appleseed sowed, the seeds that Stephen sowed, came to fruition in Paul's heart eventually. Our job is to plant seeds and leave the results to God. Stephen really did live up to his name. He lived a life of victory because he was filled with faith. He was full of some other things, too, according to this passage. Write this down. He was full of wisdom, not just full of faith, but full of wisdom, as our text says. Now, this doesn't mean simply that he was filled with book knowledge. Acts chapter 6 and 7 does indicate that he was an educated man, But wisdom isn't just being filled with the facts and figures that you can find in a book. To be a person of wisdom is to uh, have experiential knowledge, knowledge that comes from living out those facts and figures that you can find in a book. And Stephen was filled with wisdom. Another word for wisdom in the Bible is discernment. You are a person of wisdom. You're a person of discernment if uh, you uh, know the difference between right and wrong. Now, you say, well, what could be easier to know the difference between right and wrong? In some instances, that's true. In other instances, it's murkier, it's cloudier to know the right thing to do in the midst of the different uh, circumstances of life. But as we uh, go through our life and we find ourselves filled with numerous choices, a person of wisdom, a person of discernment is somebody who knows how to make the right choice. Stephen was that kind of person. You know, there's an old saying that goes... um, With age comes wisdom, and that's not necessarily true. Sometimes age just shows up all by itself. Uh, We have to realize that God grants to us wisdom through the experiences we go through as we age. We need to be persons who can be discerning. I like what A.W. Tozer said about wisdom. He said, too often we think ourselves right when we're really wrong. We think we're bold and we're just brazen. We think we're properly frank, and we're just rude. We think we're being watchful, and we're really just being suspicious. We think we are serious in our worship, and we're just being somber. We mean to be conscientious, and we turn out to be overscrupulous. I think he's right. There is a great deal of murkiness and cloudiness about all the choices that we face in life. Let's ask God to give us wisdom as we move through life. Stephen was filled with the right things. He was filled with wisdom. Here's another thing you can write down. He was filled with grace and power. That's what the Bible says here. He was filled with grace and power. Now, I like how Dr. Luke, the author of Acts, joined together these words, grace and power, when he spoke about Stephen, because the reality is that many of us look upon grace and power as mutually exclusive things. We automatically assume that in order to be gracious, you have to be powerless, you have to be weak, you have to be deferential. On the other hand, others of us assume that to really be a powerful person, an influential person, an impactful person, pretty much requires that you have to be a graceless person. We Uh, look at our heroes in culture as persons who are either gracious people without power or powerful people without graciousness. But here in this passage, it says that Simon Peter was somebody who was full of grace and power. Somebody said that grace is God poured in and power is God poured out. I like that. And I think that's the best way to describe Stephen here in Acts chapter 6 and 7. He had God poured into him. He was a man filled with grace. He had God poured out from him. He was a man full of power. We need to be people like that too. Here's another thing that Stephen was full of. Write this down. He was full of the Holy Spirit. As uh, chapter 6, verse 5, and chapter 7, verse 55 say, he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't automatically mean that he spoke in tongues. He may have. Some of us who have charismatic friends, they speak in tongues. They have this phenomenon, this experience in their lives Many times in the Bible, though, when it's speaking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's speaking about being controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's talking about being guided and directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the things that God wants you to do. And whether we speak in tongues or not, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit in this sense. And I think very clearly when we look at Acts chapter 6 and 5, the fact that Stephen was so obedient to God and so empowered by God, that's the best indication of what it means to say that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And you think about the things that we are often filled with ourselves. We're not often filled with the right things, are we? Some of us are filled with doubts, and we don't really trust the promises of God. Some of us are filled with an unquenchable desire for material things, some of us have a deep and unconfessed bitterness toward God because of the way our life has turned out at this juncture. Some of us are filled with anger and hatred towards somebody in our community or in our family. All of us are filled with something, but Stephen lived a life of victory because he was filled with the right things. Here's a second thing you need to do in order to live victoriously, not only be filled with the right things, but do the right things do the right things. Verse 8 says, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, God may not call on you to perform great wonders and signs in your community. He may not call on you to be a person who is a miracle worker in your community. But here's how we can apply this particular portion of scripture. Stephen saw a need, and he knew somebody who could meet that need. And he called to God for power and for resources to meet the needs that he saw in people's lives around, whether it was for healing or whether it was for, for favor. He was taking the resources of God and applying them to the needs that he saw around him. And we need to do those things too in order to be people of victory. We are in a world, we are in a community, we are perhaps within a family where there are people who have needs and we know someone who can meet that need. And so through prayer and through testimony and through our own generosity and sacrifice and actions, we need to be people who are doing the right things. In 2021, let's make sure that we are serving in a pregnancy resource center, or we're helping out at a soup kitchen, or we're volunteering in a mentoring program, or we're teaching English to refugees, or we're serving in the kids ministry here in this church. Everything in our culture would lead you to believe that real influence real difference-making, real power comes out of Washington on one coast or Hollywood on the other coast, but all of us know that real power, real influence happens one-on-one as those who know God convey his resources to those who need the resources of God. We need to make sure we're doing the right thing. Here's a third thing you need in order to live victoriously. You need to be filled with the right things and you need to do the right things. But third, you need to say the right things. Our passage says that Stephen boldly presented evidence that Jesus was the Son of God. And he did so even as life got very, very difficult for him. Now that's our calling too. We need to be people who are doing the right things, serving our community. But we also need to be people who are pointing people to the God. Uh, of those resources that we're providing, the God who has saved us and the God who can save them. We need to say the right things. We need to look for opportunities to present the plan of salvation of people in a way that's natural to our relationships with them, in a way that's natural to our personality. In our church, we use a, a little acronym we've called the invite strategy to do this. Invite, I-N-V-I-T-E. Uh, helps us remember six steps that we need to make in order to build a bridge from our heart to somebody else's heart so that Jesus might walk across. And so the first uh, I stands for identify. Identify your thems. Just open up your eyes to the fact that you are in a world of lost people in your own family, in your own neighborhood, in your place of work, in your larger world. We need to identify the people who are lost. N stands for nurture. We need to nurture a real relationship and no-strings-attached relationship with people around us. V stands for verify. We need to, through the course of natural conversation and question-asking, we need to verify where they're at spiritually. Lots of people are lost, but not everybody's lost in the same way. And we need to find out uh, uh, in uh, through verification, so to speak, how we might understand how they are lost spiritually. The next I stands for involve. Involve your lost friends with your church family so that they know more Christians than just, than just you. And T stands for tell. You need to tell your own story of how you came into a relationship with Jesus. And then finally, I, I mean, E stands for encourage. Encourage them to cross the line of faith. Now, if you've been in our church for any length of time, you've heard us teach that over and over again. But if you need a refresher course or you need to hear it for the first time, you can just go to our website. All of that is laid out in a training webpage, hillcrest.church invite, hillcrest.church invite. Now I know across the next few days this week, most of you, if not all of you, have some time off because of the holidays. And that would be a great time to go through that page and take a look at uh, what it has to say about the invite strategy. And in this way, as we say the right things to the people around us, we become people of victory. Stephen lived up to his name, He was a person of victory because he was filled with the right things. He did the right things. He said the right things. And then number four, you can write this down, respond to your circumstances in the right way. You can be a person of victory if you respond to your circumstances in the right way. Now, Stephen can teach us this too because the real test of Stephen's character came during his persecution and during his martyrdom. Of course, he was full of the right things and did the right things and said the right things when everything was going his way. But would things change when what he had to say to people got him in trouble? And, and what he did for people uh, caused him to face difficult circumstances in his life. Would he then change his tune at that point? He did not. He responded to his circumstances in the right way. I want you to look again at the first three things you wrote down on your sermon notes, you're to be filled with the right things and you're to do the right things and you're to say the right things. So, Stephen was filled with wisdom and grace and power and the Holy Spirit. And you know, as long as everything is going our way, it's pretty easy to be filled with those things ourselves, right? It's pretty easy to uh, feel powerful and, uh, and feel gracious toward other people when everything's going our way. But when times get tough, we're no longer filled with those things, are we? Tough times make us leak, (laughs) and we're no longer filled with wisdom. We're no longer filled with grace. We're no longer filled with power. We're no longer letting the Holy Spirit control our lives. Or how about the second thing that you wrote down? We saw that Stephen was not only filled with the right things, but he did the right things. He served his community. He met needs for the glory of God. And again, we can be fine doing that as long as things are going our way. We can, you know, serve in the church, and we can... uh, uh, go out into the community and do things when we feel energetic and when we feel healthy and when we feel powerful and, uh, and, and we can feel generous in communicating or, or in sharing uh, our resources with other people as long as we feel rich. But when things start getting tough, that's when we start turning inward and we close ourselves off from the needs of the world. Or how about this third thing you wrote down? We saw that Stephen was not only filled with the right things and he did the right things, but he also said the right things. And again, that's easy to do when everything's going our way. When things are going our way, easily we can sign up for uh, teaching in children's Sunday school. Easily we can say yes to that uh, role in adult uh, Bible study leadership and so on. But when the wheels fall off our wagon, you know, when the kids disappoint, when marriage gets tough, when we're not feeling all that healthy. That's when, again, we withdraw. We don't always uh, say the things that we need to say. But Stephen lived up to his name because he responded to bitter circumstances in the right way. Adoniram Judson is probably not a name that you know, but he was a person who lived uh, a life of great obscurity for most of his life in India in early modern missions history and um, he uh, communicated uh, his faith in these very out-of-the-way obscure places, at least for a Westerner. And at one time, he spent a deal of time in prison in Burma, what used to be called Burma, because of his communication of the Word of Christ. And another prisoner looked at him with bitterness and sarcasm and said, what prospect do you have now for con- con- converting your heathen? Uh, and Judson who was in prison for ministering to people that God has sent him to, for saying the things that God wanted him to say, he was in prison for those very things, looked up at this person and said, the prospects, my friends, are, are as bright as the promises of God. Here's somebody who, even in the midst of his disappointing circumstances, was filled with the right things. He was doing the right things. He was saying the right things. Now, like Judson, like Stephen, our performance under pressure has got to match our profession as well. Circumstances do not determine whether or not you'll live a life of victory. A life of victory springs from a faith that does not falter. Your name may not be Stephen. You may not have a name that means victor's crown, but you can live a life worthy of the victor's crown if you'll continually be filled with the right things, do the right things, say the right things, and continue to do those even in the midst of Difficult circumstances. In the end, we should all aim our life toward hearing God say, Well done, good and faithful servant. But now, before we can copy Stephen as our model, we need to listen to Stephen's message. Some of us need to come to the Jesus that Stephen proclaimed in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Like I said, for the sake of time, we didn't go over those 50 verses that start off Acts chapter 7, but in those verses, Stephen summarized the entirety of the Old Testament in a nutshell, and he pointed out that everything in the Old Testament was pointing toward the fact that Jesus has come to be our Savior and our Lord. We need to respond to that message. We need to trust that Jesus Uh, We need to trust uh, Jesus to be our Savior and Lord. We need to ask him to take away our sin by the work of his cross, to come into our lives and lead us and guide us from this point on. And as we trust the message of Stephen, we can start looking at the model that Stephen left for us and start copying and imitating him so that we too may live a life of victory. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time on Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.